0: Welcome, everyone to Parallel Church. We named our church Parallel because we have a vision and a passion to come alongside and walk with people and work with people. And we take our lead from from Jesus, who said this in uh, in, in the Gospels, he says, he says, are you is are you tired and worn out and burned out on religion?" Religion is basically in that context, is is basically, us striving to earn God's acceptance, he says, that's going to wear you out. And in that circumstance, he says, come away with me, walk with me, work with me. And the invitation of the amazing, perfect God to walk with him. And if we can walk, if we're invited to walk with him, I think we can walk with others, and walk with people, and walk with marriages, and walk with our community, and uh, that's our vision, that's our heart. So if you're visiting us for the first time, a special welcome to you. We're also, this is, Lethbridge is one of five physical locations that we have, so let's welcome everyone that's joining us at one of our campuses, either in Tabor, in Claire's Home, in Okotoks, in Lloydminster, or online, wherever you guys are watching around the world, a special welcome to all of you. And today we're beginning a brand new series, and we have a special treat for you. Um, we're going to have Pastor Jeff Heth come and speak. And if you don't know who Pastor Jeff is, that's because in his words, I'll let him say this, but we tuck him away in the corner. Um, not quite. But Pastor Jeff, I met—I first met Pastor Jeff about six, seven years ago uh, when when he and his beautiful wife Janelle moved into, into Lethbridge, and he began to pastor the E-Free Church in town, and we went for breakfast, and that breakfast, I, I have breakfast or lunch, lunches or meetings with pastors on a regular, regular basis, but I walked away from that first one, and i went like, that, that's different, there's something different here, and the, he's different, and, and over the years, we've had many breakfasts together, and Uh, coffees together and and in there I don't I've came home and said to my wife I don't know if I've met anyone another lead pastor that is on the same page that I feel the same synergy with than than Pastor Jeff and it's amazing well circumstances changed for him at E-Free and we continue to do our breakfast and and he began to Finish his doctorate and and he's doing his dissertation. And I asked, I said, well, "What are you doing your dissertation on?" And he says, "Well, I'm doing it on housing." And I was like, "Well, that's interesting, because we were just as a church stepping into taking on housing projects, and and I was in the process of of writing, uh, uh, you know, a book and different things. And and we it, very much in the same vein. and We started sharing notes and and. Um, and and got closer and and closer and then december of last year one of the breakfasts, he says hey you wouldn't happen to have anything for me to do at parallel church and i was like yes yes we do i don't know what that is but we will move heaven and earth to make it work and so, last year in January, we hired Pastor Jeff to come on, and he's been our executive pastor now. Which, if you don't know what that means, that means all the behind the scenes, all the all the business side of things, everything uh, in the church and leadership of over the campus pastors and different things. Uh, pastor Jeff has been has been doing, and he's an incredible, incredible. Uh, man of God, and you are in for a a big treat. So let's give Pastor Jeff a very warm welcome as he comes.
1: Well, hopefully I won't let him down after that instruction there, that introduction for sure. They do keep me locked away back in the uh, room back there. Cinder block walls all the way around. Can't even get good cell reception back there. I have to walk outside to use my cell phone. So I'm <laughs> padded. That's right. Uh, but the reason I kept going back for, uh, for breakfast and lunch with Pastor Kelly all the time was because he paid. You know, you got to keep doing that. Getting a free meal all the time from Kelly. No, I appreciate that. Love being here with you guys. And uh, as Pastor Kelly mentioned, we are entering into a new series here, and I get to kick this off. It is called Grow As You Go, and it's a relationship series. We're going to be talking about marriage and our hope, and our goal is that much of the wisdom will not only help those of you who are married, but also help those of you who are single as well, which probably about 50% of statistics lay out right. But we want to have healthy relationships here. In fact, the Bible, as a book, is a book about relationships. Every page is about your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Greatest commandment, if you know this, Jesus says this. He says, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a relationship, right? And then he says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a relationship there. A relationship book. Grow as you go. Now, what's up with the title? Grow as you go. What, you know, what's up with this? Well, the first thing is, the beauty of this is we are never perfect, right? Like, help me with this here, first of all. Okay, how many of you have this struggle here? Go with me on this one. Your spouse is always telling you how perfect you are, okay? Put up your hand. Okay, maybe we do need this, just a little bit, okay? Now, uh, you know, this isn't depressing. This is just the way it is. We're not finished growing. All of us here need to grow. All of us here, we're not perfect. But not only that, how do we grow in our relationships? You know, we don't just uh, go away somewhere, sequester ourselves in a room, and write a paper about how we can be better at relationships, do we? We don't go away and just study and, you know, pour over data of how to be a better relational person. No, we got to go and we got to get in relationships. We got to go, we got to make mistakes. We got to hurt sometimes and be hurt so that we can forgive and be forgiven. We got to be able to care for somebody so that they can turn around and care for us. We got to walk the pathway with other people, make mistakes, slip up so we can learn and we can grow. That's why we say, let us grow as we go. You know, let's walk in imperfect relationships with each other so that we can continue to walk down the pathway and grow and grow together and grow in deeper relationship with each other. Now, sometimes this process is pretty slow and pretty painful, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it's slow for my wife, Janelle, she wishes I would change a lot more swiftly than I do at times. And it's painful for me. I don't want to change at times, but I know I have to. Now, Janelle and I have been married for 30 years. Here I have a picture of us here back in August 21st, 1993. There it is right there. Look at a Garth Brooks tie I got on there and everything. My wife looks like she's 14 years old there. I can tell you she was of age at the time. All right. Now this is a few years later, 30 years later. Here at my uh, one of my daughter's weddings. Here, okay. My wife. She looks even better now. Can you imagine? 30 years later, she's better hair than in the early 90s. <laughs> Look at my hair, though. I don't have any hair left. 30 years. That is. That's depressing, right there. That's what that is. But we're walking down the pathway here, and Janelle and I are growing as we go. She's had to put up with a lot over the years as I've stumbled towards being the man and the husband that God intends me to be. But she's helped me on that pathway there. We've helped each other grow as we've gone together. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about our love life, our romantic relationships, about marriage, and whether you're here as a teenager, parent of a teenager, dating, checking out Hinge every day, whether you're a fiancé, you're just married, whether you're divorced, or whether you're married for over 30 years or more, like me, I believe that there's something for you here in your relationship over the next few weeks. And God has it for you. Now, we also know that relationships are the source of much pain. Probably greater than any physical pain that we've ever gone through, our relational pain sticks with us and haunts us. But we have a God who wants to walk through us in this. We have a God who will help us. We have a God who can bring healing, even in the midst of our deepest pain. And he wants to walk with us as we grow. God is the foundation of our relationships. He's the one that set this all up. So we need to trust the one that has designed relationships to empower us to live with them. If we trust God as the foundation, he can empower us to walk through our hurts, our pains, our difficulties, our stresses. And no matter what you're facing right now, with your imperfect relationship with your spouse or the people around you, there's a perfect God that is standing there right next to you, and he wants to walk with you in this. Now I'm not sure what your relationship is is like right now, but even if your relationship isn't great right now, it's probably not worse than Lawrence Ripples, okay? My friend Scott, who's a pastor in Kelowna, sent me this story a few weeks ago, a story, a true story of Lawrence Ripple. Back in 2017, Lawrence Ripple went into a bank in Kansas City, Missouri, and he walked in and he walked up to the teller and he had a note which read, I have a gun, give me all your cash. And so like she was trained to do, the teller behind the desk filled up a bag with cash, almost $3,000, gave it to Lawrence Ripple. And what you normally would do is you run out of the bank, but this isn't what Lawrence did. Lawrence took the bag, walked over, sat down in the waiting area, and sat there and waited. <laughs> and, of course, the teller called the cops. They came in. They looked. They saw Lawrence sitting there. They went over, and they searched him. He didn't have a gun, and they took the bag from him, and they said, Lawrence, what are you doing? And his answer was, I'd rather be in prison than to live one more day with my wife. (laughs) Wow, I mean, that's bad. Fast forward to the trial, and Lawrence pleaded guilty, of course, why wouldn't he? And he was facing, you know, three to 11 years in prison. And this was perfect. This is what he was hoping for in his mind. But the judge, being a wise one, changed the tone of the whole trial when it came to sentencing, when he sentenced Lawrence to six months house arrest. (laughs) Oh, man. Now, we all laugh, but at some level, we get this, right? Relationships are difficult, Over our 30 years, Janelle and I, we've had those silent days. You know, we've had those tough conversations. We've had real-time struggles where you can often be left feeling a little bit of hopelessness. We've been there. I'm guessing that you have been too. And today is a critical starting point that none of us can miss. We can't start with our relationships with each other because they're going to be imperfect. We have to start with the one who put it all together, and this is God's vision for relationship. He's the one that can empower us, He's the one that can give us strength because He is the one that's perfect and He's the one that's behind us as we step into any relationship. He is the foundation. And we need to know that we are hardwired for connection intrinsically. It's permanently written into our DNA that we are to be in relationship. Even if our relationships aren't great right now, we have this in our heart. We long for it to be better. We long for it to be perfect. Now, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And if you were to search all the way through them, there's four chapters that have perfect relationship. The first two And the last two. And that's it. Okay? The other 1,185 chapters in the Bible have imperfect relationships. That means literally that 99.66% of the Bible is about broken relationships. They are filled with pain, brokenness, hurt, trauma, disappointment, backstabbing, gossip, unfaithfulness, sexual brokenness, fracture, Divorce and longing. That's the middle of the Bible. But you know what else happens in the middle of the Bible? Jesus comes. (laughs) Jesus comes. And he comes there to meet us. That's what we sang about here, wasn't it? Your name is power. Your name is hope. Your name is Jesus. Break every stronghold. Jesus in the midst of darkness. Jesus for my family. Jesus for my relationships. Jesus for my marriage. He's the foundation. Because he's the one that gives us the strength to repair our relationships and to help them to flourish. But why don't you come with me to one of those two perfect chapters. Go to the second chapter of Genesis, right at the beginning of your Bible there, and let's lay a foundation, God's vision for relationships. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18, right there. God lays this out, and he says in verse 18, It is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, you need to hear the context for this, because in chapter 1, when God is creating the earth, he's repeating over and over again, it is good. It is good. On each day, he finishes creating. It's good. Created the earth. It is good. Created light. It is good. I created the plants. It is good. I created the animals. It is good. I created mankind. It is good. But then we come to this verse here, and it's clear that God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be alone in the context of everything that is good. Here we have paradise, but there is something missing. And what is it? It's relationship. Now, Adam, first man, would have relationship with God, but there's something else needed there. And this is the foundation. We are not created to be alone, not even explicitly alone with God. This is paradise, but there is something missing. And if you look back a few verses into Genesis 1, 26, God makes it clear why this is a problem. God says in in chapter 1, verse 26, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. The first thing that I want you to see here is this word, image. Everybody you see here, everybody you lock eyes with here is created in the image of God. And so they have a deep and lasting value because of this. When you look in the mirror and you look back at that person in the mirror, I want you to tell yourself, you are created in the image of God. You have value, deep value, because you have the image of the Creator inside of you. Now, the second thing I want you to notice about this Genesis 126 are the pronouns. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. This is God speaking. It's kind of funny that he would use plural, right? Except if he was hinting at what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, if you're new here, checking us out, or you're just new to the faith, this may be new to you, but basically, this is about the mystery of God, the Trinity. God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit makes up a Trinity of one God. It's a beautiful mystery. But the mystery shows us a little bit about relationship, doesn't it? God, for eternity, has lived in perfect fellowship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect fellowship, perfect community, perfect relationship. And so when we look at Adam, the first man, there's no one there to have a relationship with. And so God says... Let us make human beings in our image. Let's make them to have relationship so that they can experience love like we have love for each other. That's why it can be said God is love because he's in this perfect fellowship, this perfect relationship. And when Adam is alone, he can't display the character of God. He can't display the the relational qualities of God. And so it's critical that woman is created. So there can be this foundation of this relationship. And there can be a covenant relationship there. But we need to recognize first there is this relationship with the Heavenly Father. First there is this relationship with God. And then out of that flows our relationship with everyone else. And specifically here, the marriage relationship. We see this in our passage here. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. The two are united into one. Once again, you can see that there, this oneness. Okay, the oneness of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, three in one, the beauty of the Trinity, one God. But then we also see this mystery of a man and a woman coming together. And divine math is this: one plus one equals one. Powerful. This is mysterious. In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter five verse 32. He says, "This is a great mystery that no one can understand. A man plus a woman in marriage equals oneness. What a beautiful thing this is when they come together under the covenant understanding of God. This is a beautiful thing. Now, the process doesn't happen at the moment we say, I do. I mean, there is a sense in which that coming together happens there, but then there's also a sense in which we grow as we go, right? And that oneness happens as we walk along the pathway, Janelle and I, We have a greater oneness now than we did 10 years ago, than we did 20 years ago, than on that day, August 21st, 1993. We're growing as we go. And it's a lifelong process. The two will become one flesh. Now, this marriage is a covenant. And this covenant is unique because it secures that relationship. It's sealed by a vow. And it is different than a contract. A covenant is different than a contract then the differences are significant. Now, i just explain a few of those. A contract is legally binding, but a covenant is spiritual in agreement. A contract can be broken, but a covenant is a perpetual promise. A contract is mutually beneficial, where a covenant is something you fulfill. A contract exchanges one good for another, while a covenant is a giving of yourself to another. You can opt out of a contract, but a covenant is about having the strength to hold up your part of the promise, no matter what. One can stop paying in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part of a deal. But in a covenant... Listen to this. The party not getting their needs met supports the failing party so that they can meet their obligations. This is huge. In a contract, if somebody breaks their end of the deal, you can say, deal's off, done, over with. But in a covenant, it's different. When the other party breaks off, when they fail, when they don't live up to their side... You, as part of the covenant, you go to that person, you go to that spouse, and you say, I'm going to lift you up until you can. Because we're one. We're together. We're on the same side. That's what a covenant is, and that's what God calls us to here. That's what the covenant of marriage is all about. Now, one of my most influential mentors is Lauren Fredland. He's a guy who lives up in Calgary. I talk with him frequently. He's had a huge impact on my life. He's been married for 52 years. And six years ago, his wife Peggy was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it has been a precipitous decline in her ability to care for herself, to even know who she's with. And I just finished reading through an 11-page reflection on his feelings as he walks through this time and it was a powerful reminder of covenant. Lauren wrote this he said thinking about Peggy over my life she was committed to seeing me become always encourage and thinking the best of me i owe my understanding of what gifts i have and don't have to her words And thoughts of encouragement. She not only helped me be me, but she helped me to be better. And Lauren's prayer, the final words that he had in this document, was simply this Father, help me to honor Peggy and at the same time see the love and the privilege of the life we have yet to live together. This is a covenant relationship. Peggy supported and loved Lorne throughout his life, made him a better man, and now in her state, where she can't even remember who she is. He says, I'm going to walk with her. I'm going to support her. I'm going to hold her up because I've made a covenant with this woman. And when Lorne does this well, he reflects Jesus. Because Jesus has made a covenant with us. A covenant that cost him his life. Jesus says in Luke 22:20: 20, After supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and said, This covenant is the new cup or is this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. When we were broken in our sin, when we were in rebellion to God, Jesus Christ came, and he says, I'm going to create a covenant with you, and I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain, even when you're pushing against me. And he went to the cross and sacrificed his life for your sake. That's what a covenant does. That's the type of love that God has for you. That's the love that Jesus has, is that no matter what, he's going to hold up his end of the bargain, and he's going to hold up yours as well. What a powerful example for us. This is covenant love. And we need to trust the one who designed relationships to empower us in ours. And Jesus loves to do this. So how do we do this? Well, Scripture is not silent here either. The one who designed relationships with us, he gave us 1,185 chapters, not only to talk about brokenness and the brokenness that we experience here, but also to give us hope and how we can live for one another. So one of those passages here I want you to look at is Philippians chapter 2. This tells us how to live in covenant relationship with those around us. So as you turn there to Philippians chapter 2, I am also reminded of our culture here at Parallel. And I love this. I love being part of this place here and the culture code that we have here. You see it out on our signs out here, but I think we live this as well. And one of the culture codes we have here is we embrace grit and grace. I love that. There's two Gs there. Grit and grace. It says we get involved in people's lives no matter how messy they are because that love has no contingencies, that we will have the tough but necessary conversations and we will never waste a crisis. We get in there and we love no matter what with grit and and with grace. And then I love this vision that comes out of this. People who are skeptical of our God and our beliefs will be envious of our relationships. I, I don't know about your God. I don't know about your beliefs. They seem a little weird to me. But when I see the husbands treating their wives like they do, that's what I want. When I see wives loving their husbands in the sacrificial way, that's what I want. I don't know about your God. I don't know about your beliefs. Maybe I'm willing to hear a little bit more about that. But what I love is the way that you love each other. Wouldn't it be awesome if in this grit and grace, people looked at us and said, I know they're Christians because of the way that they love each other. Oh, God, may this be true. And The Bible gives us plenty of instruction on this. In Philippians 2 verse 1, it says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? any comfort from his love, any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Paul is asking this series of rhetorical questions. Are you a people united with Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, experiencing God's love firsthand and experiencing your love for one another? Yeah, I know you are, Church at Philippi. I know you are, here, Church at Parallel. I know you're experiencing these things. And then in verse 2, she says, If you are, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. If you've experienced this great love of God, this sacrifice of Jesus, the power of this, then the call is show, your, show this love to one another. Be unified together. Sacrifice for each other. Live in a covenant relationship. Just show others what you've experienced through Jesus Christ. And how do you do this? How do you make God's joy complete? Well, you might expect at this point that there'd be some sort of contract, some sort of deal. Okay? If you do this, then this will happen to you. It's if-then. But no, Paul goes straight to the covenant. You want to show your love, here's how you do it. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Wow. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This is the call sacrifice, be humble, consider others better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but think of the interests of the people around you and go after those. That's covenant love. That's the love we're called to do. That's the love that Jesus Christ did for us. In the very next verse, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he emptied himself, walked on the earth, and what did he do? He went to the cross and died for you because he loved you so much. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. And look not only to your own interests, but for their interests as well. That's what we need to do for each other. That's what we need to do for our spouses. This is what makes an incredible covenant marriage is when you do This. Now, I believe that one of the big reasons that God gave us marriage is to teach us how to walk in humility and graciousness and sacrifice. Marriage is the school where God uses our spouse to tear down all the self-centered and selfish walls that come so naturally to us. So marriage is hard. But our God can give us the power to do this as well. A couple of years ago, Janelle informed me of a goal that she had. She wanted to go and hike the West Coast Trail. Now, honestly, I didn't really know what this was. So I went and had a look. It turns out that this is seven days of backcountry camping. Okay? I don't know if you know about this. Have you heard about this before? I'd heard about it a little bit, but basically it's carrying everything you need on your back and trudging through the wilderness of Vancouver Island for six to ten hours a day, okay? For some of you, this sounds like heaven, right? You're weird, okay? <laughs> let's, get, let's get that out there right now. But to me, this did not sound like a good time at all. I mean, as somebody who grew up in a family where my mom thought roughing it was sleeping in a hotel overnight, this wasn't a great thing, rather something I would avoid. I had tree planted in northern BC for a spring and summer, and I'd had enough of sleeping in a tent during that time. Or I agreed with the words of one of my friends when I told him about this. He said, I paid good money for my house. Why would I spend money going out and living like somebody who is homeless? But very soon, I was on my computer researching gear, researching the trail, purchasing what we would need to go on this trip. And last summer, I loaded all our gear up into my 40-pound pack and my wife's 30-pound pack, and we drove to a trailhead down in Waterton to take my inaugural backcountry camping trip down to Lone Lake. And we hiked 15 kilometers in our first day. That was a little much. Why did I do this? Why did I spend hours researching and purchasing equipment that I didn't want to do an activity that I wasn't looking forward to? Because I wanted to sacrifice for my wife. I wanted to look for her interests, not my own. I wanted to think of her as better than myself. This is what love does. This is what the covenant calls us to do. A continual surrendering of your rights. This brings oneness, putting the needs of your spouse before your own and growing as you go. And the reason we do this is because we trust the one who designed relationships, and this is what he called us to do, and he will empower us to do these things. We sacrifice for covenant love. Now, as we close here, I just want to give you a few specific action steps that you can do as you walk this pathway here. The first thing I want to challenge you to do is to live out your vows. Live out the covenant promises you have made. I don't know your particular situation. Some of you are in very difficult situations right now. I just want to say God will walk with you through this. But commit to walk with him and to live out your vows. Commit again to the covenant before God and say, God, by your strength, I am going to live these. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is to compliment, not complain. Compliment, not complain. If we go through our relationship with our spouse and we are looking for things that we can compliment them on, we are looking for things that they can do, that they are doing that we value, we are going to see them in a different light. It's an amazing thing when you are going through a relationship with someone and you're constantly looking for the good things that they're doing. And the small things or the large things, no matter what it was, it changes your perspective. You know how before you got married, you know, your your, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, they could do no wrong. Why? Because he had rose-colored glasses on. You've heard that, right? And then you get married and the glasses come off and you see them as they really are. What I want you to do is I want you to put those rose-colored glasses back on and look for something to compliment. It's going to change your perspective because if you're looking to complain or you're feeling that complaining spirit come up, you're just looking for the, the bad things that they're doing. Even if they're not really that bad, you're just assuming it's going to be bad. That's not covenant love. And the third thing, and this comes right out of our directional statements, I want you to focus higher. The call is to pray, to set our hearts and our minds on God. It takes three to make marriage work, to get that oneness. It's one plus one, yes, but there's also another, God. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, A cord of three strands is not easily broken. If you are building your relationship with your spouse, that's great. But the primary relationship is that relationship with God. And so as you hold your husband, as you hold your wife up in prayer, that foundation is going to grow. And if you today feel like you need some prayer for your relationship. We'd love to do that. We'd love to help you with that. You can take a card there, just write out a prayer request, drop that off with one of the ushers on your way out. That'd be great. You know what would be even better? Is if you found somebody here that you knew or felt comfortable with and said, hey, would you pray for me? And that's what we want to do as part of the family here is pray for each other. We all know relationships are hard. We all know our relationships aren't perfect. You guys admitted that to me at the beginning. But let's pray for each other. Let's focus higher. Because when we pray, we show our trust in the one who designed relationships, that he will empower us to live them well. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you designed us to be in relationship. We thank you that you sent your son to sacrifice for us, to show us what covenant love is. And we thank you, God, that we get a chance to practice this here on earth. And I want to pray for all the husbands here that you would strengthen them to have covenant love for their wives. And I want to pray for the wives, that you would strengthen them to have this covenant love that you've reflected for their husbands. And I pray that as we walk this pathway imperfectly, that you would come and you would help us and you would support us and you would walk us through this. We trust you for this today, here in this service, God. And as we walk out of here and go throughout our week, I pray that you would empower us to do this when the going gets tough. We pray these things, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.